guys, Young and Profiting Podcast has just launched Yap Society on Slack. It's a cool community where listeners can network and give us valuable feedback on the show. To join Yap Society on Slack, go to bit.ly slash Yap Society. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Yap Society. And if you're already active, share the wealth and invite your friends. Yap Society on Slack is sponsored by Compass HQ, a Slack app that gives insights to help your team work better together. Use Compass HQ to get detailed analytics, visualize communication patterns, and run surveys to collect input from your team. Visit compasshq.com to learn more. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. I'm Hala Taha, and today we're yapping about storytelling in business. We've told stories for as long as we've been human. Since ancient times, people have used stories to communicate, learn, and connect with one another. In modern days, storytelling has become a prominent trend in business as organizations look to enhance brand awareness and loyalty by telling compelling stories about their products and services, helping us uncover the value of storytelling is Dr. AJ Manai. AJ is a professional storyteller who has made his rounds as the chief marketing, innovation, and executive officer at several companies, often managing many jobs at once. Now AJ is taking everything he knows about storytelling and sharing his knowledge at various conferences, as a TED speaker, and now here on Yap. Hey, AJ, thanks for joining Young and Profiting Podcast. Likewise, it's an amazing privilege to be here. I've heard so many good things about Halataha and Young and Profiting on LinkedIn that it's really an honor being here. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks. That's sweet. Okay, so you describe yourself as a storyteller and a futurist. You've spoken at over 170 events since 2013. According to your LinkedIn profile, you're a CMO, a CEO, a CIO, innovation officer. Right. And for many startups. So how did you get here? Tell us about your journey and what you spend your time doing today. Okay. Let's start off with the easy part, which is my journey as opposed to my day jobs. I started out essentially as a kid that was bully. I remember growing up in school from middle school all the way to high school was a pretty tough time for me. And I think as a result of being outcasted and being bullied, I think what happens is as a kid, you get a to spend a lot more time with yourself. Because if you're not and you happen to be the jock or you happen to be the popular kid at school, the opposite happens. You've got a lot of distractions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. One after another, you're in spotlight. There's just so many things that distract you. But if you're like me and you just grew up in between the ages of 9 to 16 as a kid that was just going through repeated bullying, as a kid who spent a lot of time on his own, I started building up a lot of my observational skills. And I think that led to building up a certain amount of self-awareness much earlier on in my life than typically people would do normally, right? Yeah. And I think I spent a lot more time dabbling in emotional intelligence without even knowing what emotional intelligence was actually at that point. I didn't have a word for it, but that's what happened, right? And that's when it kicked off an entrepreneurial streak in me. So... Back in the day when I was a kid, I used to love collecting comics. And I grew up, and a lot of these heroes painted my childhood. And because I was so much into comics and stuff, I used to collect these cards. And I used to sell them on the street and roll a profit out of them. So I'd buy a hologram of Wolverine for like 40 bucks, and I'd sell it for like 200 and sometimes get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But therein began my journey of understanding profit and loss and being an entrepreneur, just finding opportunities to survive to better my own lifestyle. And so that's how my journey began as a kid. And there's a lot of stuff that happened after that, but I'm just going to fast forward to now the present and what I do now. So the reason 
that I became a venture builder. You described it well, CMO, CIO. These are all just titles. For me, the titles don't really matter. It's just being able to follow a passion in life Mm -hmm. that I've had since I was a kid, which is I realized that at first I misconstrued it for being a very effective salesperson. So I think I made a, a huge mistake in the beginning of my career. I kind of thought my ability to sell ice to an Eskimo. And I'm not saying that from a boastful way. I'm not showing off about it. It's just that as a kid, when I started doing the MCU cards and I started selling them and then one thing led to another and I started getting into other small little ventures as a kid, as a teenager. And then even when I started working on my first job, I had these little side hustles. All of that kind of gave me this impression that sales is the way to go and I should be a sales professional. And I found out almost seven, eight years later that I had picked the wrong profession altogether. I had completely misconstrued what my body and my mind was telling me Mm. about my own skill sets. What I really wanted to do was storytelling. What I really wanted to do was empower others and inspire people with my voice, with my ability to so-called sell ice to Eskimos. It was not about getting a check or a commission out of someone, but it was about empowering people to see the best versions of themselves. And then from there, understanding how to achieve that in their own lives, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the titles, the CIO and the CEO and the CMO, those are just titles and we put them aside for one second, Hala. And if you think about it, I essentially do the same thing in all of these capacities. So whether I'm the CEO of a fintech company or I'm the CMO of a branding agency, I've got asked this a lot of times, AJ, you've got a lot of different ventures you're involved in and you're the C-suite in all of them in different capacities, innovation, marketing, and everything. How do you manage doing all of that at the same time? And what I've realized is that it comes back to being able to understand that it's not about learning how to play very disparate roles in your capacity in all these ventures. It's about knowing that you have a particular skill set that you do fairly well and you're very confident doing and being able to deliver the impact of that skill set across all these ventures. So whether it's a CEO or a CMO, the title doesn't really matter. It's the skill set of being able to evangelize and storytell to build a brand and to build the business is what I do, irrespective of the title, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter whether it's a fintech or it's a branding agency or if it's an augmented reality venture that we're also involved in right now. All of that stuff really doesn't matter. It's just about understanding what are my strengths and my weaknesses. It all just began as a kid being bullied and having no choice but to build an emotional intelligence. Yeah, That's very inspiring. And I can't wait to unpack storytelling with you and get all your tips and tricks on how to be a good storyteller. But first, let's pay attention to you because you have a very inspiring journey. You are a multitasker. You work at four different companies right now, all C-suite positions like we mentioned earlier. And I had a time management expert on the show. Her name is Laura Vanderkam. And she talked about how she tracks her time very closely in order to become more conscious of it and manage it better. And so we were wondering, what are your time management secrets balancing all of these workloads? I think the first secret is that I'm awful at it. (laughs) Just kidding. No, no. All jokes aside, I'm totally of the view that there's no such thing as a work-life balance. If you're an entrepreneur, and I think sacrifices have to be made, and I think there are prices that you have to pay. And if anybody says that there is a utopia to that aspect, and like, no, there is a secret formula to that, and you can have everything, I think they're probably pulling a fast one. I personally feel that time management comes down to just understanding yourself really well. 
And I'm just going to use an example that's very relevant to my own life. Put it this way. If you've got to do four different things at four different companies, right, four different skill sets at four different companies, it's logical for someone to know that, oh, okay, if I'm doing four different skill sets, maybe I'm really good at one, but the other three, I'm kind of just mediocre in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So people can't be good at all four things. If you talk about mastery levels and you talk about multitasking, it's a known fact that <laughs> I'm probably going to sound a little bit sexist and sorry, guys, but it's a known fact that women are generally better multitaskers than men, mm-hmm. right? And me understanding myself, I can tell you that in my case, it's definitely true. I don't think I multitask. What I think I do is I just do the same skill set over and over again fairly well because I've trained myself to do it. But if I were to go to four different ventures and take on four completely different skill sets, I think my time and everything else would just go out the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're doing four different skill sets every day, it's going to bog you down. And your time management, quite frankly, pardon my French, is going to be shit, right? But if you know exactly what your strengths and weaknesses are, and you know what you're good at, and you know that you want to bring that same value proposition to each of those four things, So if someone goes, hey, dude, you want to do my finance as a CIO? And you're like, no, finance isn't really my gig, dude. You know, you should talk to my buddy Ryan. You should talk to my buddy Cage. They would know this better because that's their strength. But I'm the storyteller. If you want me to build the brand through storytelling, through inbound strategy, through understanding how to humanize the business, I'm your man, right? And if I do that across all four ventures, I'll do it faster and quicker than the guy who's trying to do four different things at four different ventures. You get what I mean? Yeah, that's really good advice. You've optimized yourself and you know how to do that job very well, very efficiently, and now you're able to apply it across different ventures. Right. And therefore, at the end of the day, from a time management point of view, the bottom line is I do it quickly and efficiently. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I have more time to spend on things that I might otherwise enjoy. All right. So let's get into your expertises. Let's share some of your insight that you've learned over the years. Something you talk about is storytelling. And this is what mankind has been doing since ancient times. You give talks about so many different subjects from digital DNA, generational gaps, HR, education, but your unifying theme is always storytelling. So when did you realize you were a storyteller and why is storytelling so important in everyday life? You're going to laugh, right? (laughs) I realized that I was a storyteller when I was about to be beat by a 16-year-old kid Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the park near my house. Long story short, I told you earlier about how I used to roll MCU cards, Mm -hmm. Marvel Comic Universe cards. They weren't playing cards. They were just collector cards. And it actually was a true story. This is way before Hugh Jackman added any sex appeal to Wolverine. This is back when Wolverine used to wear yellow spandex with these really weird funky horns on his calcium. There was a Wolverine hologram and it cost me, I think, 40 bucks. And I went to the park that day and there was this kid, and I'm not going to take his name because (laughs) if he he hears this, he's going to say, dude, why'd you talk about this story? So long story short, there's an Argentinian kid who was probably about eight, nine years older than I was. And he saw the card and he was like, hey, I want to buy that card. And I said, yeah, sure, it's 200 And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah. And I came up with this very elaborate story around how it's 200. You know, I said, oh, you know, I went to the shop and I saw this in the window and I was like, hey, how much is this, sir? And he was like, oh, it's it's actually originally 300, but I haggled them. I talked about it and I traded some of my other cards. I made this elaborate story with this completely false. It was a completely false story. 
at that time, I didn't even know the value of authentic storytelling. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was barely about eight, nine years old, right? You can't blame me. Give me a break. So it was a complete lie. But it was nonetheless a story. It was a fable that I made up. And he bought it. He bought it because I was so passionate while I was telling him this story, albeit a fake one, but I was so passionate about it. Subconsciously, I think, I started to realize that I could make up stories to capture people's imaginations. I could make up stories for people to become part of me for a few seconds, to feel what I feel in that moment, right? And that's fundamentally why storytelling has become so important in, in branding and marketing today, because the old marketing playbook is just dead, right? Brands have moved away from function to feeling. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I kind of started doing it more often. And in time, just for as a disclaimer for myself, so your audience doesn't think that I'm one of those fake storytellers. At one point when I got older, I realized the value of the story itself being authentic and the value of humanizing it with very real examples, with very real people and real characters, right? And if you really think about it, influencers today and influencer marketing is built around authenticity. People truly feel that they can believe someone that they follow online. And that's why an emotional buying decision comes into the picture. If someone who's crazy about Kim Kardashian sees her buy these shoes, they want to buy those same shoes, not because it's just Kim Kardashian, but also because she bought them and she's advocating them. She's endorsing them, right? It's not even about Kim herself. It's also about the fact that it's Kim saying that you should do this because it's a great product. So people automatically trust her and they buy it as well, right? And whether it's authentic or not, that's another thing altogether. But that's really the pivot on influencer marketing at the end of the day too. Yeah. So like I mentioned before, it's a really old art form. It's as old as human language, but what is the evolution of it? Why is it so popular today in marketing and sales? I think we just got really, really materialistic really, really fast. I know that sounds like <laughs> like the politically incorrect answer, but <laughs> I think we became materialistic way too fast. And I'll tell you why. I think why is storytelling so hot now? Because emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and all these other aspects that come from articulate storytelling have become so hot, mm-hmm. right? Because we're in a world where people are fed up of superficial. Like superficial is super passe. Nobody wants to just deal with the surface anymore. People want to feel something. Like it, it doesn't even matter whether it's a branding message or it's a relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your wife or your husband. Anything, if you talk about it, we're so connected. We're so digital now. Mm-hmm. We're so attached to devices that when we finally do get to experience something that's raw, that's actually feeling-centric, as opposed to just rational or our eyeballs on it, we just lap it up. We just go crazy about it, right? It's like receiving a handwritten letter to you now Mm-hmm. because you feel so ecstatic about the fact that someone wrote a letter to you when you're so used to your head wiring you for emails and for WhatsApp messages or for anything else. You get what I mean? Yeah, that's so eye-opening. You're basically saying the humanness element of it. The fact that we've been doing this since ancient times makes us feel like we're more human and we're just constantly bombarded by digital mathematics, preciseness. Yeah, and we've got such access to information all the time, right? If you think about it, like right now, you're probably looking at a screen right now. When you get up and you leave your office or wherever you're at, Hala, you're probably going to see a digital billboard or signage. So that's another screen. When you're walking, you're in the lift, you're probably going to turn around. There's probably an advertising banner in the lift. 
If you think about it all times and there's a message that beeps up, you pick up your phone, you're on a screen again. So if you think about it, we're just being bombarded. We're consumers of data. We are data-centric beings now that are being consumed by so much of outside noise that the intrinsic noise or the intrinsic or the internal has become so much more valuable now. It's so much more unknown, but it's also intriguing. Mm -hmm. So things like self-awareness, emotional intelligence, storytelling, all of a sudden have made a huge comeback. I take Gillette for an example. Gillette, five, 10 years ago, was doing ads where there were still on traditional advertising jingles. Like, you know, I don't know if you remember watching the old Gillette ad, but like, you know, the best a man can get from Gillette, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? And there was a dude with a washboard ab standing in front of a, a mirror. And like half the ad was just a 3D rendition of the shaver itself with how many blades, with all these features. And they were selling the shaver so hard, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was complete outbound strategy. And then now, 10 years later, you see Gillette ads and their stories. They hardly show the shaver. They show things like a young man growing up watching a father that he really admired and all of a sudden how time changes that and the father becomes a lot more frail and how that young man is turned into his guardian in many which ways right and how he's taking care of his dad and that whole thing is just pivoted because the ad is so much more longer but still people stay glued to it because they're so in love with that connection that that father and son have and like for one second in that five minute story for one or two seconds they show this grown man shaving his old father who can't shave anymore. And three quarters into the ad, there's this really subtle Gillette, the best a man can get. By that time it reaches that point where it shows that line, you're already cheering up thinking about your dad. You see what I mean? Yeah. Everything has changed. I'm touched and you only explained it. (laughs) My point is that's the power of storytelling. I can talk to you about it and you can connect with me. You can feel what I'm feeling just for a moment. But in that moment, if you can inspire someone with hope to do more, to be more, then, dude, you've done your job. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that They can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. 
in the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and Profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify Magic is your AI super-powered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is No excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie and you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. 
Yeah. So storytelling is not only for marketing professionals. We can all apply it in our daily lives. In fact, a study from the Scientific American revealed that personal stories and gossip make up 65% of our conversations. We do storytelling to make friends, convey ideas, seek empathy. So how do you suggest we improve our storytelling capabilities and what are the elements that make up a good story? Storytelling isn't just a tool to persuade for me. And it shouldn't be just a tool to persuade for anyone. Storytelling has an actual science behind it. It has finesse to it. It has a prowess to it. You need to train yourself. Just like people train themselves to pitch better, they need to train themselves to be more eloquent storytellers. And I always say that it comes down to A, authenticity. You need to understand that if you tell a story from the bottom of your heart, and it's really authentic, and you really, really love that story, when you tell it, whether it's your story or someone else's, but when you tell that story, and you really love telling that story, the other people will feel it. They will feel it. But if you just want to cookie cutter the stories out, and you want to churn them out merely just for the sake of persuasion, that you want to impress the person, what do you want to do? It's not going to have half the impact that it would have in the latter. So let's talk about the elements. For me, I've actually studied this for the last three, four years. I've studied storytelling from an actual actionable point of view where organizations that get coached and trained by me and C-level particularly can understand how to be building more humanized, authentic stories to inspire their teams to perform better. And I'm not talking from a manipulative point of view. I'm not saying become an awesome orator or an awesome speaker to dupe people into doing what you want them to do. No, engage them so that they actually feel something so strongly and so vehemently that they themselves willingly want to come back to you. They want to be on your side. They want to be there. They don't show up to work because you've tricked them into it. They show up there because they love working there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the elements. I feel like any effective storytelling technique has to have these key elements. Obviously, a story has to have a narrative. So you've got to have a strong narrative. Two, I'm going to go back and reiterate this, but I'm only reiterating because it's so important. It has to be authentic. Three, you have to have a little bit of detail. It can't be so superficial that people don't get a chance to really sink in with it or connect with it momentarily. It has to be a little bit more detailed than just a peripheral story. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there has to be meaningful challenge in it. If you watch a movie in a cinema and then three years later, I'm like, hey, remember that movie? And you've forgotten the actor's name. You've forgotten everything. But for some reason, when I say the name and I, and I talk about the storyline, you're like, oh, yeah. You mean that one in which that happens and that happens? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that one. And you're like, yeah, I love that movie, right? But you've forgotten everything else. You've forgotten the actor's name. You've forgotten everything. But you don't forget the story. And why? Because it made you feel something. And every story that's worth remembering typically, usually, in 90% of the cases, has meaningful challenges in it. It has like a story arc to it where there's an abruptness to the character development where things are good, then they go bad, then they go bad from worse. And then from worse, it becomes really good. That's a typical hero villain formula. But at the end of the day, I'm not talking about just a movie formula. I'm talking about how real life is all about the ups and downs. You know what I mean? Hello? Yeah. So like a story also needs to be about an up and down. If it's a story that's perpetually good or perpetually negative, then that's a fable that's not authentic and doesn't have any meaning to the challenges that are put forth in that story. 
And then finally, the last two areas that I think really need consideration to be an effective storyteller is your story has to have a practical output to it. Let me explain this by example. My recent post on LinkedIn was about Optimus Prime. And I talked about how, as a kid growing up, Optimus was just a bunch of red and blue blocks, right? And it was really bad graphics, really corny soundtracks, really bad <laughs> punchlines, and all that stuff. Like, but despite the lack of CGI and before Michael Bay gave him stripes and stuff, as a kid, Optimus Prime had this huge impact on me because of his voice, because of his purpose. Like he just was this dude that you knew had a purpose bigger than himself. And even though he was a fictional character, what he stood for was very real in our lives. It's the ability of not giving up, not giving up on hope, like having hope despite the circumstances. So there has to be a practicality to every story, no matter what the angle. And finally, there needs to be a dialogue. The best stories are ones that just keep continuing. They turn into a conversation. They grow. They don't, they're not just about a four or five line, you know, happily ever after. In my opinion, the best stories are ones that have dialogue, that grow, that evolve. Yeah. So yeah, those are the elements. That's very helpful. And thanks for giving examples. How about storytelling for sales professionals? How do we apply storytelling when we're trying to make a sale or when we're trying to build a brand? What's your suggestion there? To keep it as brief as possible, because this is actually a two-day workshop that I do. <laughs> so storytelling for sales professionals is an actual two-day workshop that I do. And to cram two days into a couple of lines or a paragraph is, is difficult, but I'm just going like, to condense it to as much as I can. Yeah. It's just down to understanding that all the elements that I talked about earlier apply just as much in sales as they do in anything else in life. So those tips actually apply to sales professionals as well that I just talked about earlier, the elements. But I think one more focal point that people need to keep their eye on in sales is understanding that you're not telling stories to sell. You're telling stories to make them buy, right? So I'm just going to say that again. You're not telling stories to sell because that's basically just you pitching or you hard selling in your own career. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a product or a service that you're selling, if you're going to hard sell, you're going to pitch something. And don't get me wrong, pitching in certain contexts is still very valuable. If you're going to go to an investor and you're going to use certain storytelling techniques and you're not going to pitch it, that can be very harmful. So don't get me wrong. Storytelling can't be used in every single facet of the organization. There are some things that you don't want to be using storytelling for, and you just want to have a very blunt, direct, non-inbound sort of a conversation, right? That is a reality too. But coming back to sales professionals, storytelling is their key from being good to great. Like that's my opinion, okay? There are probably a lot of technically oriented salespeople out there who are probably sitting there going, that's bullshit, AJ. You know, like, I don't agree with that. You know, you just got to get straight to the point and tell people what you're selling and pitch it. If they say no to it, you're quick in, quick out, move on to the next opportunity. Don't get me wrong. There are probably a lot of people out there too, but I personally feel that what differentiates an average good salesperson to someone who is absolutely epic like Steve Jobs. Yeah, he's known primarily as being one of the best marketers in the world that ever lived. But I kind of feel like he was an amazing salesperson as well, because he has the ability to get up on stage and captivate a crowd, not by selling a product or a feature, but by selling them an idea, by showing them a better way to function and how that solves problems. So Steve actually technically never sold anything to anyone. 
He just made them buy Apple. You get what I mean? And that's what the power of storytelling is. Can you give an example of selling something technically versus selling something with a storytelling approach? Okay. This is a case study that I presented a couple of months ago at a conference here. I think the name of the brand was Red Wing Shoes. Basically, what happened was these guys are a company that's been around for like 30 years, and they're based in the U.S., and they're very much so like a very state-centric sort of company, a company that was homebred. It's been its own state there. It's when it first started out, the town wasn't as enriched by its presence, but it's become a household name in that town and stuff, right? In a nutshell, this brand sells really rugged construction boot type of stuff, right? So it sells boots for the rugged man who's involved in the rail yards and at construction sites and architects and all these guys who are doing all this heavy stuff, right? Women and men both. So here we have this rugged boot selling company. And logically, what you think they would do is they would have, for example, their marketing and their collaterals and their videos all about pushing how awesome the shoes are and how tough they are or doing a video around a toughness test or doing a video about this guy who's ripped, who's walking without a shirt with a pair of boots on and his shirt's opened a bit. He's walking around. Typical Marlboro man type of feel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So logically, you think about a shoe company that sells these type of intense boots to be doing that. But what did they do instead? What they did instead was they created a video about a gentleman who had been working in their repair department for the last 10 years. So get this. They're a company that sells brand new boots, okay? Mm -hmm. They sell brand new boots as a business. That's their main revenue stream. But instead of pushing that, and making that into, okay, you know what, we've got this new model, this, 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 blah, 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 the typical shoe in your face by these sort of ads and videos, mm-hmm. or getting like an influencer running in them and standing around in them. Instead of that, why on earth would they not do that and do almost like an infomercial about a guy who works in their repair department for the last 10 years? And you know, this, is, this guy is an average Joe type of dude who is clocking in, clocking out, coming into the repair side of the business and getting old boots. It's not even their newest boots. It's not their latest models. It's these old boots that have been torn apart because they've been worn and torn. And he's getting them this video. And all they're doing throughout the video is showcasing how this guy does his day job, how he goes in the morning, what his opinion is of the company, what his job is, how he loves fixing these things, how he gets it up and everything and how he He makes sure he's up early in the morning there. He's getting things done. He's leaving late in the night because he really loves it. And it's just about his story as an employee. He doesn't even try to sell the shoes. And even if it did, it's positioning old shoes, old boots that are broken, that are being repaired. So if you really think about it, the case study is doing the exact opposite of what logic dictates a company would be doing. Instead of trying to sell or hard sell their product and merchandise, They're humanizing it by talking about Mr. Average Joe, who works in their repair department, talking about the connection and the value that this brand has brought into his life and how he'd never leave working these guys. He'd never leave with them. He would never leave the company. He would never leave the town because he loves his life and loves the fact that this company cares about old things too and repairs them. 
for that guy who wants his boots. He doesn't want to buy new boots. And it sends a very subliminal message to the consumers and the people watching that this is a brand that isn't about pushing new products to me and building products that fail on purpose so I come back and buy more. Mm -hmm. This is a brand that subliminally shows me that if I take back my old boots that I bought from them five years ago, they aren't going to hard sell me. They're going to repair them, make them brand new, and keep servicing me because they're here. They're here no matter what. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Yeah. And the beauty of that, from that storytelling pivot, is that they just built their revenue threefold than doing the latter by hard selling it. Wow. So that's an example. Yeah. Storytelling is so powerful because if I remember correctly, you remember stories better than you remember logical facts. Totally. So I think science has proven that. So that's such a great case study that we went over because I think that we'll all always remember that story. (laughs) Red Wing's all about maintenance and this and that. Whereas if we were just given facts about Red Wing, I don't think we would remember them, you know, five years later. Cool. So we are just about out of time. My last question for you on storytelling before we go is how to use storytelling with our personal brands. This is something that's really popular right now. And, you know, many people call it humble bragging, basically telling a story as an excuse to kind of brag about yourself. So can you give us some tips on how to use storytelling without coming off as conceited? And what are some best practices when it comes to using storytelling to enhance our personal brands? Sure, absolutely. We probably need to start off by saying that being any form of a storyteller is not about self-promotion, at least in my opinion, as an authentic storyteller. I think at times, everyone's human, and I think we all humble brag. I think there's no use lying about it. It really is the truth. And I'm probably going to be straight up about this. Some of the listeners may not agree with me, but I really feel like If someone says that they really are trying to go out of their way not to humble brag, most of the times I think they're lying to themselves and others. I think everyone at one point in their life does intentionally or unintentionally humble brag. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that storytelling as a tool or as a lifestyle of being a storyteller, and if you're really wanting to be authentic about it, it's not about self-promotion. It can never be about self-promotion. So it's not about the humble brag. It's about inspiring other people through your own mistakes or through your own experiences, whether they're successes or failures, but it's about inspiring others 
to become the best versions of themselves, right? And just to give you a, a relevant real-life example is maybe my recent post on LinkedIn about Optimus Prime that I talked about earlier on the show here just now. If you really think about it, it can be risky for me as someone who does the amount of speaking engagements and assignments and consultancy work and all the stuff that I do in the market, not just in Malaysia, but um, across the region here in Asia. If you really think about it, a post like that can be dangerous. It can be very dangerous because picture this, a baby boomer CEO or a Gen X CEO, a lot of them might think like, wow, this guy's a big kid. It can have a very negative connotation to it. People can think, wow, this guy's such a dork. This guy's such a geek. But why did I put myself out there? Like, why did I do it? There's a risk to any story that you tell, right? Yeah. You're going to make a positive impact on some people. But people need to understand this. So a couple of posts ago on LinkedIn, I also talked about this. People need to understand that for your marketing to be awesome, you need to accept the fact that it, it's going to be positive in some people's eyes, but at the cost of being negative in some pe- other people's eyes. You can't please everyone. There's just no way of doing it. So it, it's just never going to happen that you'll become the perfect storyteller. Because you're always going to have people who are going to call you out on stuff. They're going to be, for lack of better words, dissing on you. And there's nothing you can do about that. So if you know that reality, a lot of people can subjectively say that it's totally a humble brag, right? If I objectively read my post on Optimus Prime, there's absolutely nothing that I'm showing off about in that post. I'm not showing off about anything. In fact, it's pretty much the opposite. I've actually gotten fairly vulnerable in that post, and I've talked about myself And I've talked about myself as a kid and that journey and about how I really look up to the ideals of this fictional character. And I know they're fictional, but what they represented is so real and can be symbolized in our real lives. But if you talk about humble bragging, I don't see the humble brag in that post. You know what I mean? But you're right. You're right. It is a reality. We can't avoid it. It's true that there are going to be days where you may, you, me, or anybody might say things that comes across as a bit of a humble brag. And that's not limited just to to you and me. It's applicable to a lot of people. Let's call it spade a spade. I've got friends who literally swear by Grant Cardone. They swear by him, right? They're like, Mm -hmm. this guy is sick. He's seriously dope. But I've got friends who cannot stand him. I've got friends who say, this guy is obnoxious. He doesn't sit well with me. If you want to call a spade a spade, some of the stuff that Grant puts out there can be definitely construed as humble brag. You know what I mean? You look yeah. at his posts, you look at the way he talks about stuff, you can definitely humble brag. But is it in his own eyes? Is he really doing it for the sake of bragging? I'd argue probably not. I'm willing to say and probably fairly confident to say that if you were to talk to him, he probably is doing it because he wants others to be inspired by his example. The same thing goes for Gary Vee. So Gary's been in Asia a few times here too. And I personally am a huge fan of Gary. I think Gary has this sense of self-awareness that he's brought to entrepreneurship as a spectrum, as a body of knowledge, where he just speaks not to demographics, but to psychographics, as he says. And I think that's an amazing thing, because I think that makes him an amazing storyteller. Yeah, That's why he gets up and he engages so many people, because he just speaks the truth authentically about what he feels needs to be talked about. Are there people who don't agree with Gary? Are there people who think that he's too blunt and he rubs you the wrong way? Yeah, I'm sure you know some people who think that way too, right? That doesn't mean that he's humble bragging. No. So I think it's so subjective that there is no answer to this particular question, Hala. Your personal brand is what you make it. And do whatever you think you feel comes from the heart. I think the only thing that I would give as cautionary piece of advice is 
if you're doing something out there, don't fake it. Just do what comes to you naturally. And that's going to be a risk in itself. Like, for example, that post on Optimus that I talked about, that's a huge risk. It's a possibility that some people will see that as childishness. Some people might see that as, wow, this guy's kind of way out there. What is he talking about on LinkedIn about this? You know what I mean? Yeah. But for me, I still did it because it felt like I wanted to share that story with people. Yeah. And it's real. It's true. It's authentic. Back to your point on authenticity. It's almost like if you are authentic, you don't really have to worry about humble bragging. It's the truth. It's who you are. And you told the story. Yeah. And if it happens to be something that people think that you're showing off about, then that probably is more so their fault than yours. Agreed. All right. So AJ, where can our listeners follow up with you, hear more about you and find you online? I think at this point, LinkedIn is probably their best bet. I actually think right now LinkedIn is probably the most organically rewarding platform out of the entire plethora of stuff going on out there. Agreed. Without a doubt. I'm not even being biased or anything. If you look at the stats, you'll see it. LinkedIn is organically the most accessible platform out there right now in comparison to paying for stuff on other platforms. And I feel like if I need to connect with anybody, the best place would be LinkedIn because that's where I really enjoy spending the disciplined amount of time that I do engage on digital aspects of my own life. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hello. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. And now you can chat live with us every single day on Yap Society on Slack. Check out our show notes or youngandprofiting.com for the registration link. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Big thanks to the Yap team for another successful episode. This week, I'd like to give a special shout out to Stephanie and Shiv for their amazing contributions in research and pre-production. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.